When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today. We recognize the country north and south of the Brisbane River as home to both the Turrbal and Yagana nations, and that sovereignty was never ceded. These places have always been places of teaching, learning and storytelling, and we would like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dungeon Deep Dive. We're just going to do another one of these little character ones this week. Um, recording a few of these today. So, if we... Shh, they can't know that time isn't real. Look, I just... I put a call to action to give us feedback about it at the end of the last one, and I wanted to make it subtly clear to the audience that if the feedback is negative, the reason we have multiple is because we recorded them before we got it. I just want to cover on my bases, Tully. That's fair. It's it's not that we got your feedback and didn't listen, it's that we haven't got your feedback. Yeah, and we'll I listen eventually. Listen. Yeah, I'll probably listen. I mean... Yeah, I'll probably listen. Anyway. <laughs> um, welcome back to Dungeon Deep Dive. Uh, this is a lovely character rep, and we're going to talk about uh, another one in uh, my homebrew campaign by the name of Grebo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Grebo's my little goblin guy. Yeah, so Grebo's got an interestingly storied history uh, in the world, uh, in that somehow Grebo turned from a uh, a kenku into a goblin. <laughs> yeah. So, I I've wanted to play a kenku for a long time um, because I think that kenkus are at least on paper a very interesting player race. Um, I like the idea of having to communicate in a different way and of having... Because I'm one of the more experienced players in our campaign. Um, I'm probably the most experienced player in our campaign. Probably, including Um, the DM. Yeah, so I have... Because not a lot of my friends have played as much D&D as I have, I typically end up... And I'm sure people who have DM'd or have played a lot um, understand this feeling. Um, Sometimes you just kind of end up being the person that does a lot of the talking because a lot of people aren't really sure, like, kind of what they can do, what they should do or whatever, and they're just kind of getting into it still. Um, So I was like, okay, well, this way I can still do that because I know a a lot of the party members are new to the game. And it won't be just me kind of taking over because it'll be like it'll still be like a collaborative like thing between me and the other people because for people who don't know kenkus are essentially like anthropomorphic ravens um and they can only communicate through mimicry so they don't have any capacity for language of their own um they can't string together a sentence beyond like mimicking the sounds and words they've heard to convey like simple ideas and stuff um it's a part of their like 
in-world backstory. It's a curse, I think. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a curse for curse disobeying an old lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that just being just communicating through mimicry would mean that people would have to kind of like work with me to work out what I was trying to convey. The problem is when you are in high pressure situations and you are struggling to convey something through random words and sounds, people typically just give up and do something else. Yeah. It becomes yeah, it quite a frustrating that- experience. Yeah. It turned out we were all a little dumber than Lachlan had hoped or expected. And so Lachlan was like, <laughs> Lachlan was like, oh yeah, sounds of dirt, sounds of steel. And we were like, are you digging? What, what do you want? So, after a few sessions, when I finally realised that it didn't seem like it was something we were warming up to, I came to Tully and I said, I want to be able to speak because someone needs to be able to. Yeah. And no one else is talking to anyone. So... It just became difficult because I realised at a certain point there were a lot of questions that I would typically be the person to ask, just kind of like in our group of friends... Um, a lot of very, like, exposition-y kind of fact-finding questions and stuff. Yeah. Like, just, like, by virtue of, like, the sorts of, like, education I do, just going by virtue of the sort of person that I am. Like, I typically end up being the sort of person, the person in the group that asks those questions. You're the lawmonger. Yeah. And so it became very difficult as everyone was kind of... It seemed like everyone was still expecting me to do that without realising and without me being having a way to clearly convey that I wasn't able to do that and I needed help with it. Yeah. So it just became it became a little bit more trouble than it was worth at a certain point. So at that point, Lachlan approached me and said, I want to be able to speak. Uh, and I I said, there's there's an option to just re, reskin this mimicry as almost like a soundboard-esque use of language or to change race if you want. And Lachlan figured changing race was the way that they wanted to approach it because it gave some opportunities for different kind of stories. Yeah. So I was like, well, what other interesting, um, what other interesting player race could I go as? What's another kind of character that I wanted to be for a long time? And I decided to go with a goblin because I like goblins a lot. Yeah. They're, good, they're, they're fun little fellas. They also have a good goblin voice. Yes. This is this is a great uh, regular goblin voice that we get. Yeah, I just kind of whenever I have a goblin character, I just kind of talk like this. Yeah, hello, <laughs> it's me, Grebo. Um, um, and it's lots of fun. That's, that's one of my four DM voices as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, I'm kind of struggling to get past vaguely southern accent, deep voice, Scottish <laughs> accent, and like just higher higher pitched and a little bit breathy. Those are my <laughs> DM voices. <laughs> That I'm trying to expand out of. I've got a couple more that you'll hopefully meet in the next session. Um, uh, See, so you're doing better than me. I have three. I have my voice, my voice, but mean and spoilt Victorian child. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's good. And this is actually something that I quite enjoy. And I'll talk a little bit about, more about when we talk about Heward. Uh, but I think character voices, if if you as a person can realistically adopt a character voice without too much conscious effort, then I would highly recommend it. Because it oh, yeah. really aids with getting in character. 
and getting a character helps inhabit that headspace and those decision-making processes that let you do dumb shit. Yeah. Yeah, really, it, it adds a whole other dimension to the to just the game itself if you can have especially because it helps you distinguish very easily conversations that you're having in and out of character mm-hmm. um which because i know that we talk about like don't metagame or whatever but obviously everyone is going to be having a com- is going to like stop from time to time and have a conversation and kind of like debrief with the group it's yeah. just like it's important to be able to do that because not everyone's getting and absorbing and like retaining every single piece of information given. So sometimes you've got to be able to do that. Exactly. And it's a lot more organic and turns into a lot less... Me- uh, uh, stays a lot more in the realm of recapping and regrouping and without getting too much into metagaming. If you have an easy way to switch between in-person conversations and in-character conversations, if you can just be like, okay, wait, so, sorry, where exactly are we? Cool, 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 cool. Great, okay, I'm... Yeah, Instead of just being like, well, what should everyone do now? And we found that that's, with character voices starting to creep in, um, and it's it's been a, a slow adoption process with everyone kind of figuring out where they want to be, but we've I've definitely found that in our campaign, this has become a lot more... Like, that distinction between in-character conversation and out-of-character, okay, where are we at? has become a lot more clean clean to sort of discuss. And people yeah. are making in-character decisions, even if out of character, they know it's probably not the best thing to do. <laughs> yeah, because everyone's got more of a feel for their character. And because we're able to have more in-character discussions that don't feel kind of forced in the way that they often do if you're talking your own voice, because then you're just like, oh, I'm talking to my friends in my voice, but I'm talking about silly things. Whereas if you're talking as a character, you're like, I'm talking as a character. This character exactly. is somewhere else right now. Exactly, and it's it's part of what makes this so fun. Um, but as as part of changing character race partway through, obviously Gribo's backstory changed entirely. Uh, uh, previously, Anvil sounds uh, backstory yeah. <laughs> changed entirely, becoming Gribo. Yeah. Uh, so do you want I, to tell us? I a really bit threw of... my whole character out the window. Yeah, exactly. You kept the character class, kept the background, and everything else changed entirely. Yeah, I even changed the base stats to meet to better fit with like goblin racial distribution. Yeah, because um, obviously the bonuses change when you change races. Um, so, do you want to tell us a little bit about your uh, your story? Uh, yeah. So, at first, I wanted to go with the reason I went with a Kenku is because I wanted to go with something that felt kind of a part of, like, a broader kind of more organic world. I, I've played a lot of D&D characters that are very, like, like from the city going out into the world kind of thing, but I've never really played, like, wisdom-focused characters. So that was kind of what I was going with on that one. Something yeah. just kind of, like, like a character that was more in touch with nature than with civilization. Um, however, as I was obviously reworking the character it was interesting because the change to Grebo was very last minute i was writing i was adjusting my character sheet as we started the session yeah so i didn't have an opportunity to come up with a backstory before we started playing so the way that i kind of did it was i just did whatever i thought this it would be fun for this silly little rambunctious goblin man to do. Hmm. Um, so I started, like, 
Oh, what did I show? Oh, I started, like, trying to get people to, like, unionize <laughs> against the, like, yeah. shitty ch- dude that opened this mining town. I started, like, pushing back against the druids we were working with because I realized they were fucking around with the environment that in a way that they shouldn't be. I, I like, started, like, I just started, like, kind of going off the rails a bit. And then afterwards I was there, like, okay, well, clearly these are the things that Grebo hates, so... <laughs> What yeah. is Grebo's story? Grebo uh, had hates... a bit of a, a call about this and sort of nutted this out in a, a very much a collaborative character creation uh, setting, mm. which I'm a big yeah. fan of. Yeah, we had a we had a big discussion where we talked about a bit of world building and stuff. We talked about some characters, and we ended up um, like drawing from uh, we we actually took it in a very uh, I guess appropriate for this context because we're on the podcast, we mm. very much did build off of, like, historical examples and stuff. Like, we had a big conversation where Tully and I kept, we like, set, we were talking about, like, what we, what our ideas were, what we wanted to do with it. So, for instance, um, we decided that Grebo was probably, like, obviously had to leave whatever goblins he came from at some point. So we were like, mm. okay, well, why would that have been? Well, he seems big about class antagonism, so maybe he left because of a failed strike. And it, then we were like, okay, well, what sort of strike was it? And Tully and I started talking about, like, the different kind of, like, historical examples that we could think of until we kind mm. of met in the middle and we found, like, a nice... A nice sort of ground that kind of encompassed our ideas in a mining strike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, which really went a long way in helping kind of work out what the rest of the characters' motivations were, and in, like, retroactively justifying the dumb things I'd been doing. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, as it turns out, a lot of the, the stuff that was, I mean, in character, but still kind of a bit, uh, ended up being very much in character and a lot more emotive than... Than initially intended. Um, yeah, yeah, because I realised that the funny—it's one thing to just come up with a random bit to do in the middle of a game, you know, but it's another thing to come up with something that would be funny, but is very rooted in the circumstances that you're in. Hmm. So, like, I could have just done some dumb shit and just, like, ran around and made chaos and just, like, been like, oh, I'm a goblin. That's what goblins do. Um, Mm. But I was looking for things that a character who had never lived in a town, who had been constantly subject to, like... uh, Exploitation. Yeah, to exploitation and violence, and who had, like, very different conceptions of property and law and everything to the majority of like, the world that we were in. I was like, well, what are the things that this person would actually be mad about? What was the, what would be the thing that would actually get them so, like, riled up? This character who clearly has it in them to be, like, a nice, normal, reasonable person, because I had been for most of the time. I was like, what was something that's actually going to... would get this person fired up? And I was like, okay, well, this one dude controls all of the importing and exporting from this town and owns everything in it and all of the people who work here. I'd probably be mad about that if I'd come from somewhere that literally didn't have private property. Mm. And, so... and so I just kind of riffed on that for a bit until I found, like, 
until they found a way to do it that seemed to fit. And that very authentically played into the retroactive, the retrofitting of the background, which is somebody who was exiled for starting a failed strike um, in a, a mining community. Yeah, and it ended up um, pretty well justifying kind of every decision that I'd made as the character, because it gave us a good reason to... that Because I play an artificer. So, um, and because artificers have the option of taking firearm proficiency, we were like, okay, well, it would make sense for someone making, like, early firearms and stuff to be trying to get them to some kind of, like, strike movement or whatever. Yeah. So it, ma- so it made sense for Grebo to have become an artificer in an attempt to, like, arm this, like, miners' union. And then that um, decision, in turn, meant that there was a reason for Grebo to have been working with high explosives in a mining setting, which then gives a reason for people to be afraid to strike, but also have yeah. a reason to strike. Yeah. Yeah, so it it just kind of... Everything just kind of slotted into place once we worked out a context that all of these different things could come from. That, like, a goblin who lived on the outskirts, we lived in a mine, he was very, like, very much, like, a labour rights advocate and an anarchist, so he came from a union, he's an artificer, so he was building them weapons. Like, it just kind of all slotted into place. And it gives us a really interesting uh, location that we can revisit as uh, a compound that we, we discussed was essentially a, a goblinoid compound. It's just goblins, hobgoblins, and bugbears, and a lot of class struggle seeded by the rule, the people profiting off the mines. Um, yeah. What was the, the reaction? You used a... Um, a similar example from West Africa, I believe. No, West Virginia. What? There was... West Virginia was the example that I had. Um, do you mean the series of strikes where they were just, like, assassinating mine guards? Uh, there was that, but I was actually thinking about the, the, race, the racial struggles. This was where the, the ruling class had basically taken the, race, the racial dynamics and conflicts... And use oh no, that game. that was that was in West Virginia. So the way, oh, yeah. so what happened in in West Virginia was um, apparently there was like a whole civil war, like after the American Civil War in West Virginia. I mean, this happened everywhere in like every mine all over the world. But I mm. recently happened to li- be listening to a thing on the on this happening in West Virginia, which is why it came to mind. So what had happened was they essentially went on strike because it was slave labor more or less um they were putting them under ridiculous debt they only had access to things sold by their employer their housing was controlled by their employer their pay was awful um they were being taken advantage of in literally every aspect and doing Mm. one of the most dangerous jobs in the world um and so a bunch of miners were like fuck this we are out and i mean even a bunch of um a bunch of the miners were at the time uh freed slaves and I remember there was at least one account from a man who went to like the United States Senate or whatever and said and testified before them and said like I was raised a slave these conditions are slavery when my when my boss calls on me I feel the same way that my master and mistress made me feel when they called on me as a child like that was I'm paraphrasing obviously but that was more or less 
what he was saying because it was just like awful, awful exploitative conditions. Mm. Um, and so they had this big armed strike where they just started shooting guards and shooting their bosses and just being like, fuck this, we're done. We're done with all this bullshit. And the way that they broke it up for a good number of years until like bigger, more organized unions came in to, to help them uh, kind of diminish the influence of the big corporations, um, the way that they broke it up for a long time before that was they would just come in and talk to like the white miners and be like, well, look, those... Those, those, those other guys over there. We got, we got all those. We got all those. We got, we got, we got. <laughs> Insert slur of the era. Insert yeah, slur whatever. Of the era here. Yeah. Whatever awful thing. Whatever, yeah, whatever awful thing they said they about would, people of color. Yeah, whatever they decided that they were gonna like insult you with. Yeah, but it was essentially just like we have all we have all these people of color working in the mines, and it was a time where slavery had just been abolished. So the employers would say, "Well, hey, if we give everyone these things that you're asking for, then you're saying that that." That these, that these black men over here are equal to you. And you don't want that, do you? <laughs> you don't want to admit that you're that you're all the same as them. And so they would drop the strike and compromise. And they would get some a couple of small concessions for the white miners, and nobody else would get anything, and the strike would be over. Mm. And it was and a it very insidious until... way of breaking that picket line. Yeah, and it, and it was a lot of work to to stop stuff like that and to stop things like scabs and everything. Um, so it gave us a lot of, it gave us a lot to work with in terms of dealing with this backstory because it is, and always has been a long and tumultuous and not linear in any way struggle to get like labor rights and stuff. It's always like one step forward, two steps back. And, um, I think it gave us a lot to work with. And as a, as a DM, I'm always struggling between wanting to use the really interesting character and racial templates that are given with the law of Dungeons and Dragons, but also trying not to rest with the the lazy fantasy racism and having an external force that is creating this pressure cooker within a community really gives reason for some of these things to come about and for somebody to be inserting this pressure into a situation, um, gives it a chance to explore the dynamics between in, in the goblinoid family between goblins, hobgoblins and bugbears, each of whom have their own reasons for being part of that community as far as the actual lineage goes. And to then have even between, somebody exploiting that. Yeah, and then even between like the different groups that that um I mean, I don't know how much you've read of Volos, but it pretty well breaks down like how day to day goblin cultures tends to operate Mm. um and so while i haven't explicitly included any of the ideas of like the like goblin caste system and stuff um i'm trying to keep it in mind as like an influence on grebo at least at a young age because i think that and i mean just my history in like sociology and lore and stuff um I guess is where I'm getting this from, but it's it's one thing to say that it's important to consider various cultures, and it's a very another thing to say that everything traditional, just because it came from like a cultural tradition, is inherently good. So I felt that like going about it in this way of having it be like a labor rights issue, for example, 
gave a, an interesting way to explore both the like contemporary struggle that it's dealing with and to critique some of the like shittier fantasy racism aspects of goblin culture yeah because like a labor rights advocate would also be against a caste system exactly um, so it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition f- between like the i guess forced assimilation of culture that like the miners are trying to accomplish that like the mining the mine owners rather are trying to accomplish and the like natural evolution of culture that like that like a radical like labor rights advocate like Grebo, for example would be pushing for yeah where like the culture instead of dying and changing like reforms and becomes more free exactly Uh, and i think this is a really good example of how you can really very quickly instill a, a very solid moral code into your character despite having i mean as a player you always have a limited knowledge of the world and you're filling that out as you play and this has basically created a lens through which you can view your character's motivations very easily. Well, yeah, because I came into this as Grebo, knowing that I didn't know what his backstory was going to be, but I did know the, like, sort of morals and motivations that I wanted him to have. So I went with that for a while, and I explored, like, how that manifested in terms of actually playing the game. And then once I had an idea of, like, the sorts of people that those thing, the sorts of conversations and the sorts of people that like those motivations would lead Gribo to dealing with. I was just like, okay, well, what's a backstory that includes all of that stuff? Yeah. Cause um, yeah, I really only came into it with an idea of like, I wanted him to be like rambunctious and hate authority and just kind of be like a little bit of a mess. And that's, that's really a common theme with all of our characters. Uh, I mean, as a, a little bit of a recap, uh, we've got Squid, who is a self-proclaimed messy lesbian. Uh, we have Adelaide, who is a messy gal. We've got Grebo, who is messy anti-authority goblin. And we've got a character literally named Messy Deb. Yeah. Um, it's a messy party. We love it. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels like a lot of people kind of came in with that similar approach in this campaign. And I think it's worked out in terms of our party dynamic. It's just like everyone was like, okay, well, I don't really know exactly who this character is and what exactly what they're going to do, but I know the stuff they're into and the sort of things that they mm. like and don't like and, like, their general moral code. So I can probably, like, respond to most situations, and it's kind of worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and I think that's probably a, a nice endpoint for this episode. Um, yeah. Thank you once again for, for joining us. Um, once again, uh, we've been Lachlan, Grace, and Tully uh, from Dungeon Deep Dive. Uh, if you want to uh, talk about your character or if you just want to send in some interesting stuff, feel free to get in contact at deepdivetnc at gmail.com or at uh, Dungeon Deep Dive on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, we're going to try and keep up some of these in-between stuffs as much as possible. So if you guys have anything that you would like us to talk about in any of these little kind of more more casual, less research-focused ones, uh, feel free to let us know. Yeah. Thank you all. Uh, have a lovely weekend, week, evening, uh, morning, uh, midnight, whatever, whatever it, is. it is, whenever you're listening to Enjoy. this. Enjoy. Take care. Take
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.